Behind the Evolve Faster podcast, the making of a speculative fiction meets nonfiction podcast. I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF14 of the Evolve Faster podcast, and welcome to the very first BTP or Behind the Podcast episode which is exactly as it sounds. These are going to be a series of episodes looking behind the curtain of what it takes to create a show like this. So as you can tell, I've got my less serious dramatic voice on, and these are gonna be more casual, and I'm going to attempt to not have to edit them. If I say something stupid, I'm probably just going to leave it in. What I'm gonna do for the next few months is do a series of these BTP, Behind the Podcast, and AMA Ask Me Anything episodes. The full seasons of the podcast are an enormous amount of work. They are written, rewritten over and over again, and I think you'll see through these Behind the Podcast episodes scale of what goes into creating just one of those episodes from initial idea through the full scope of what goes into the season, tying the episodes together, and then doing the recording, production, marketing, the whole the whole bit. Hopefully these are interesting to people who are interested in the show. And the AMAs will be a series of other questions that are probably more related to the topic or the, the plot of the actual episode. So I'm going to do one behind the podcast and one AMA for each of the season one episodes. These serve a couple purposes. They help us kind of delve into some of the kind of deep themes that come up in the podcast seasons because I get a lot of questions about, you know, what certain parts of the season was talking about. So I, I obviously with, with them being a, a scripted fictional piece of work, I can't really talk about, you know, what happened or anything like that. I put a form on the website and I you can go there. I believe it's evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. And there is a, um, a form there where you can pick the episode and submit a question. Uh, the second thing that serves is it gives us time to create the next season. It's still a pretty tight schedule for us to over the next six months, or about four months actually, finish season two and get it fully produced, but we're gonna hope for the best and see what happens. These will be released about once a week and we'll just see how it goes. It's an experiment. These are more of a nonfiction casual format versus the the kind of deep dramatic versions of the, um, of the fiction episodes, but uh, we'll see what happens. First off, I hope you enjoyed season one. Um, we really enjoyed producing it. There's a lot of work, but we we had a had a blast doing it, and um, the show seems to be taking off. So we're we're happy that, that that's that people are liking it. If you didn't listen, and this is your first episode that you're hearing, there might be some light spoilers in here. I'm trying to make a rule for myself that I will not give major spoilers in these Ask Me Anything or behind the podcast episodes. But as I was writing notes for these, I realized that I'd have to skip a lot of the important questions if I gave no spoilers. I'm going to try to give not give away the big story twists and things that are, are critical. Um, if you're not familiar with the show, it's a bit Twilight Zone-ish where there's usually some plot twists and sometimes they're subtle and psychological and philosophical. And um, if, if I take, if I give those away here and someone hasn't listened, it may be kind of ruining. I will try to warn, I'm going to move questions towards the end of the these episodes that would be more major spoilers. And I'm going to try not to actually give away. There's a couple really big ones in the season that I'm not going to give away. Um, so these next, these first three podcasts are going to be like behind the podcast episodes for the whole concept. This one today is a behind the podcast of what is Evolve Faster podcast. And the next one I'll do 
um, which should release in a week, is more on my background and why I'm doing this. I don't prefer talking about myself, so I'm gonna jam it all into one episode, any question I've received around, you know, why I'm doing this specifically. And then I'm going to have Antonio on the show, who is, he helps out writing the, the episodes, and he's become a really good friend. He's my key creative collaborator. He's not afraid to tell me when my ideas are terrible, which many times they are. He, I'm going to have him on the show and ask him a bunch of questions so that I can introduce him as well. And then after that, then we'll go episode by episode and have a behind the podcast and an AMA episode with all the questions related to each of those episodes. Today, I'm going to run through as many submitted questions as I can that are not related to the episodes and are related specifically to what is the podcast? Why does it exist? If you have questions you want to submit, obviously they won't make these early episodes, but going forward, evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. And in the, for, in the future, that might turn into a forum for per episode discussions where people can actually have discussions, add their own input as to what went on in the episode to talk about the philosophy and psychology and science that is discussed in the episode. So let me know your thoughts on that if that's of interest. So here's a list of questions that I'm hoping to cover before the caffeine I just drank wars off because these recordings do can get exhausting, but they hopefully are much easier than what I do the season episodes, which uh, one one hour episode of that could take five hours in the recording studio. These I'm hoping to not have to make a lot of stupid mistakes and errors in so that I have to re-record them. I'm going to answer some or all of these questions depending on time. What have you learned from doing season one of the podcast? You've said the Evolve Faster podcast is entirely different than most podcasts. Can you explain? What is the creative process behind it? What's the process to create the concept of an episode? Can you talk about the themes of season one and what's ahead? What's the whole thing about? I listened to a few episodes and I like them, but I can't figure out where it's going. What's your favorite episode? Why don't I plan to do advertising and how will it stay alive? What's the logo and podcast imagery mean? Can you talk about how you record and produce from the road? I read that you were traveling for the entire first season of the recordings and what's ahead for the podcast. Now that I'm reading them, it seems like an enormous amount of questions, but I'll do my best. Uh, as this is the first one, I'd like to kick it off right. To kick this off, I'm going to dive right into the best question I received that fell into a behind the podcast BTP type of question. What have you learned from doing season one of the podcast? Well, that's a deep question with a lot of answers. And it's one that I think is actually best answered by this entire episode. So the cheap answer is I've learned that you really, really don't know what you actually think and why until you work very hard to put those ideas on paper and make them endure the next time you read them. There was a point when I thought I'd actually never launch an episode. And because every time I'd go back and read them, there was something I hated about it. And you start to realize when you do that, this is a sign of you don't really know what you think until you write it down, process it, and go back and read it again. So then a, a day came in late 2017 when I finished a rewrite. I listened to it. I have a software that I can listen back because that can help me kind of get a, a feel of what it's going to be like for a listener listening to a podcast. And surprise, I didn't hate it. What an accomplishment. <laughs> but it actually was. I'm type A and typically quite self-critical, both of which are a work in progress that I'm slowly evolving away from. First off, a little background on how this came to be. As a life experiment, just for the experience, I talked Heidi into going to 
Ecuador in 2015 in the rainforest to do ayahuasca for 10 nights in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. She's quite a good sport, but I mention it because we both came back with some incredible insights about our lives. One of which for me led to a TEDx talk that I did. I was able to do a few months after the trip in 2015. And the response to that talk led me to ruminating on the ideas which eventually became season one, which I started working on after my daughter Stella was born at the end of 2016. I'll dig into this a little more in the next episode, which is about me and why I started the podcast. But season one finally launched at the end of 2018, technically a two-year project. But like anything that anyone does, it was really a lifetime of experiences and ideas that led to this. I didn't know that the Evolve Faster podcast was in my head, but I'm glad I heeded this insistent call of my creative unconscious, if you will. It took many, many rewrites to try to find the voice that you heard in the final versions of the episode. I unfortunately had to endure writing recording and listening to many, many versions that completely sucked. It's still not where I want it to be on any level from the concept to the writing, to the nonfiction integrations, to the recordings, but more on that later. At the time of this recording in April of 2019, rewrites and really a whole reconcepting of the show, how it works um, for season two are in process. Season two is slated to launch in November of 2019. And this will be a challenge to see if season two can be done in about a third of the time that it took season one to complete. But there was a lot of infrastructure and concepting and reconcepting and marketing and building websites and, you know, all these things that have to get have to be done to get something out the door. And as I said, I had a kid, my daughter Stella, at the, right at the start of that. And then we, about a year after that, we left for a year to travel around the world for her entire second year. She was free to fly until she was two years old. And we decided we were going to hit the road and experience life abroad, working from everywhere with a with a one-year-old. So it definitely wasn't full-time for those two years of developing season one, especially the second year. I was also running the other businesses that we have from abroad, mostly real estate, watching Stella half the time, trying to stay ahead of travel planning, which is an enormous amount of work when you're moving every seven to 14 days for a year. Um, And of course, trying to enjoy every bit of the 25 countries we visited over those 12 months. But I spent most of work days that I'd have and mostly nights and weekends that I, I had during the trip working on it. It was no joke to, uh, to find the time and probably the harder part is getting into the creative space necessary, which the episodes, if you've listened, are, are quite deep and some quite complex. To get in that headspace and be able to pick up where you left off on, say, a eight or 10,000 word kind of carefully crafted plot where every word can count sometimes, it's, it's difficult. It can take an hour or two just to get in that space. And I was struggling to find an hour or two on, on most days. Keeping to the schedule plan now means that after season two launches, we'll have even less time for season three. But in theory, it should all be getting a little easier. And hopefully as more and more people follow the show, I can actually hire someone to help with some more of the grunt work and marketing and that kind of thing. But what's funny to me is that in the episode at the time, I was heralding in my own mind, of course, as, quote, something I didn't hate and would actually 
publish, quote, uh, in the end is now actually my least favorite of season one, which is episode EF6, if you're wondering. It's not a bad episode. It, it's, there always has to be a worst of the season. In fact, I've received feedback from some people who said it was their favorite, which uh, goes to show you never know what people are going to love, like, hate. Um, everyone is listening at a very different time and phase of their life and coming to the table with very different experiences. If someone had recently just had their their first creative eureka moment as the protagonist does in the in that episode because they stopped trying to control their creativity for once they might actually really connect with that episode even though it was it was to me the greatest achievement i'd had and it led me to to kind of move forward with the production of the other 10 episodes after that they just kept getting better and better in my opinion and it ultimately turned out to be my least favorite of the season. So as for me, as the creator of all of this, I'm also seeing it from a very different perspective than any listener. I'm judging them on my experience of writing all of them over and over and over and knowing what I want it to be and where one falls in that continuum for me. Also, that episode was written and re-recorded probably about 15 times because I was still actively working through what I wanted the episodes to be like. I would get overly worn out on them, especially the, the first, say, five of that first season. I was experimenting with recording techniques. I was re experimenting with vocal delivery techniques. I'm not a vocal actor, so I was learning all that on the, on the fly as well. I'd listen back and know it was better than the previous one, but I would have to identify what wasn't working still. It's hard to love your first baby more than the newer, better ones, so that haven't annoyed you nearly as much. I think that's probably what happened why that episode became my least favorite at the end. And, you know, the podcast is called Evolve Faster After All. Have to keep moving forward. That's the short answer to the question, what have I learned? My hope is that by the end of this recording, when the coffee I just finished is finally kicking in. Maybe I can re-answer that more succinctly, or maybe if this episode goes as planned, you'll already have surmised the answer for yourself. Because if you haven't figured out yet what Evolve Faster is all about, the Cliff's Notes might be that the aim is to help me, and hopefully you, think more clearly, ask better questions, live a more examined life, and answer that what am I supposed to do question a little more effectively every day. Okay, you've said the Evolve Faster podcast is an entirely different format than most podcasts. Can you explain? Yeah, the the podcast is definitely a different animal than most podcasts. I've gotten this question mainly from people who have said that they're not really podcast people. And that's great. I've, I've, of course, I have a, have a mailing list of people through the TED Talk and things like that where you know, some people that may not have been podcast listeners, this is their first one. I think that's how a lot of people find podcasts the first time. They're introduced to it through someone they follow. The regular season episodes, which I just call seasons, uh, we've just finished season one, are fiction, which is a huge difference. There's not much fiction uh, in the podcast world today. I recently read that on Apple um, iTunes, there are now 750,000 podcasts. And most of those, at least from my experience, are interviews or topical nonfiction discussions. I, I've heard of people that w listen to podcasts of just some guy in his basement in Indiana talking about Purdue. And, you know, it could be as, as small and niche as that, or as some are quite creative by big names like Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History, which clearly entails, entails a lot of writing to tell his nonfiction stories in 
engaging way. But the Evolve Faster podcast uh, seasons are all fiction, yet they're interwoven with nonfiction, philosophy, science, psychology, neuroscience, and lots of current and speculative ideas about where all of this is heading. I have a lot of interest in, you know, futurism and what I call the next evolution, kind of, you know, this convergence of AI and synthetic biology and all these all these things that are going on that are just happening, and I'm not sure there's enough conversations going on about them. Part of what I'm trying to do is, is um, in a fictional format, to try to make them, make the ideas uh, a little more accessible, have conversations, at least between my characters, and hopefully conversations begin or continue offline. And that's why quite a few of the episodes aren't resolved, which doesn't make a lot of people happy. But that's kind of the point is I don't have the answers. I'm just I'm using these as lenses into ways that we might consider improving ourselves and topics that I think need to be talked about. The plots are carefully crafted to try and unfold like a mystery to keep it interesting. The most similar podcast to the Evolve Faster that I can think of is one called Hardcore History, which I'm a huge fan of. So Dan Carlin is the host of that. Uh, he digs into historical events, mainly wars and other tumultuous periods of history. And he creates a story that is as engaging as any fiction you'll read. It's an amazing show, and his style was definitely an influence of mine. Uh, and it's the only other thing that I know of that's, that's kind of like that. I suppose I'm hoping to do for philosophy and psychology and science in a fictional way what he's doing for history, which is make it a far more engaging and memorable experience than the way it's covered in textbooks. I hope I'm achieving, even in a small way, relative to his success with history. What is your creative process? The moment I do everything, graphics, website, marketing, writing, delivery, post-production. Now, a lot of that work is creative. Graphics, web design, etc. How the graphic design work, the website. I, I do all this because I like I just like to create things. It's none of it is perfect, but each of it gets each of these gets a little better each year. I'm not trying to be a hero by doing it all, but the reason I do it is primarily for the creativity. I mean, that's really the reason I do the podcast and to get to get the ideas out there. To get better at creating, you have to constantly be creating. To get better at releasing things and being done with them is also important to me because it's something I've never been very good at. Progress, not perfection, is a lifelong struggle for me. The podcast forces me to finish stuff. I've, I have a production schedule now, I have a release schedule. And once I set that schedule and decided when I was putting the first one out there, I just committed to doing this for a couple seasons at, at minimum and trying to find my voice with it and trying to find an, an audience that wanted to uh, go on the journey with me. I mentioned this already in the episode, which was in discussing getting into the depth of, the, of writing an episode. When I'm designing a whole season, it takes a kind of level of depth that is hard to get at in even a working day or working week. And I don't have normal working weeks at all. I, I watch my, my daughter half the time. At a minimum, my week is broken up to every other day. To get to the point of being able to have these big visions come together though, I do what I call isolation retreats. And, you know, some of the ones I've taken in the last couple of years have been to Guatemala for a couple of weeks where I lived in this little hut, <laughs> Airbnb hut kind of thing. It was it was a full house, but it had, you know, and it was, you know, it had solar power and everything, but it was, you know, pretty much 
a hut. And that was where I actually nailed down the kind of fundamental three pieces of the of the platform. And then I did another one about a year later to Italy. And I, I just, I, I tried to go somewhere in international for a period of time. Now this, the, that was both before I had my daughter. So my life's different now, but I still do pointed isolation retreats in a different way now. I will work out an arrangement with Heidi where she watches Stella for, you know, a longer period of time. So right now I'm sort of on one of these. I'm getting these recordings done for the mid-season and we've just swapped days. And when I'm working on something like the arc of a whole season and and even really nailing down a single episode, I try to isolate myself for at least a day or two and just focus on that one thing. If I do that, I can get into it and stay in that kind of flow zone a lot more. And, you know, that, it doesn't mean I, I'm sitting there for eight hours straight doing it. it. It's just that I don't really allow in other inputs during that period. For me to get to the level of creative depth that's needed for even a single episode, I have to do that for a day or two. And, you know, in, in the midst of that, I'll, I'll, I'll go out and take walks and I'll do all the kind of normal things that you do in creativity to let your mind breathe. But if I have a, if I'm just in the middle of a normal work week uh, or a normal week, I'm going to have a hard time getting to where I need to be. So there are periods of the year where I just have to isolate myself. And I think it's possible for anyone. I mean, it's different if you have a full-time job, you know, and or if you are the full-time caregiver of, of kids. It's I just, It would be really hard to do. You could be completely dedicated and spend, you know, say just your nights every night getting into that place. It would be harder. But because I have flexibility, I've worked for many years as an entrepreneur and I've kind of slowly built myself a creative lifestyle. It's possible, but I, I, I do think that with, you know, kind of horse trading as in, and I have to horse trade. So now that I have a, I have an awesome kid, I have to make different choices to get, to get these creative blocks. But for me, it's essential. Maybe other people can do it without them, but you know, this question's about what's the creative process like. And for me, I have to do that. You know, then, then once, once I've put the wheels in motion and I feel like it's going in the right direction, then I can just carve out time to, you know, use the minimum is about three hours. If I have less than three hours to sit down and work on writing a section of an episode, I'm not gonna get a lot done. Uh, I use these, you know, once, twice a year, and now I do them a little more. I do more of them, but less time. You know, in Guatemala, I was there for three weeks. Italy, I was there for, I think, 20 days. And I've got a series of these that I've done different different times in my life that are that were longer. Um, now I'll do three days, or currently I'm on one for five days where I'm, I had to buckle down and finish these mid-season episodes and get them recorded. I was able to figure out a way to find that creative space, sit down and get it done. To me, that's a, that's a critical part of my creative process. And at the end of the day though, creativity is just plain hard work. If you listen to episode EF13, the last one of season one, definitely one of my favorites. I feel like the writing got better with each episode and that one has some complex twists and turns. The What goes on in that episode is related to the creative process and it just it's really is just hard work you and 
And it's, I've done multiple different careers in my life, engineering, real estate, I've done physical things, I've done much more mental jobs. Creativity is the hardest of all of them. It's by far the most rewarding though, but it is just hard work. I'm sure some people have some natural skills. You know, there are people that have more of a natural ability to say draw or sing, but I still think it comes down to hard work, even with those people. Someone who's not particularly out of the box skilled, um, I didn't spend the last, you know, 35 years of my life being a writer. I I was a good writer and I've I've I think I'm getting better, but it's it's to me it's a it's a, coming up with the concepts and everything is a is an exercise in forced creativity. So that's the uh, and then you know a couple other kind of silly things about the creative process for me. I wrote almost all of season one to the same song. I've heard of other people doing this. I think either Tim Ferriss or Matt Mullenweg got started WordPress. I think I heard I think I heard them talking and one of them, maybe Matt does all of his creative work, in his case mostly programming, to uh, the same song. The song is uh, by a band named uh, Saint Germain and the song is Rose Rouge. I don't know why, but that song just puts me into a creative place. That's not a one of these creative retreat type of things, but it's um, day to day. If I if I have to write part of an episode, or if I have to write marketing work, if I have to do anything that is I have to focus on, I turn off the inputs to my phone, meaning that I'm not receiving texts and, and calls or anything popping up on my computer. It's all shut off. I go offline and I turn on. Rose Rouge and it doesn't really have words to it so to me that's an important thing and there's something about the energy level of it and whatever it just it puts me into the my flow zone quicker that's one trick that I use and then I have a couple other songs that I'll, I'll sometimes not just do that song and I'll sometimes just put on classic jazz you know like Miles Davis and you know, Theolonius Monk and that kind of stuff that's a similar thing I like that stuff because it, it doesn't have like melody it doesn't have a, a kind of repeating melody it gets my gets my brain into the right creative space and then I've got some Bon Iver songs and things like that that I listen to as well um, anyway, so that's, that's uh, I think, a good answer at this point to my creative writing process. There's obviously a lot more to it. The interesting part is more like the kind of collaboration between Antonio and I and how that works, but I think I'm going to talk about that in some other questions. Okay, what is the process to create the concept of an episode? Okay, I'm actually going to talk about it right now. Well, I'm going to have Antonio on, as I mentioned, um, I think three episodes from now or some two, two or three for and ask me anything where I'll, I'll kind of just interview him so we can as a means to talk. But in brief summary, so you know how the creative process works here, I'll give a quick overview. I often joke that this podcast is currently runs on 1.2 manpower because unfortunately I can only steal his time for minimal pay enough to result in him being able to help me with about 20% of the workload. I of course prefer to tell Antonio that he's one fifth uh, the, the value of an average man. Kidding buddy. But actually the podcast wouldn't be nearly as good with, without him. It might not even exist. I don't, I don't know. But he's my creative sounding board. And as I said, he's not afraid to tell me when my ideas suck, which is an invaluable skill in a creative partner. And he's also very open to hearing things like if he writes a draft of something, if I just tell him the whole thing just totally needs to be thrown out, he's open to that. And that's not normal in most people. He's very open to feedback as well. The main area that he really helps is as a creative sounding board. I, I never realized I needed something like this before. 
just to have someone who's interested in the topics enough to really dig through the ideas and decide if they're good or not. You, you, you can't do that easily by yourself. I, I, th- I would imagine that a no- someone who's a novelist, for example, probably has their editor at a professional publishing company that probably in a lot of ways is their creative sounding board, not not necessarily just a, you know, editing the, the pages and the grammar, but actually editing the concept. That's really where Antonio helps me out an enormous amount. Many times he many times he many times writes the first drafts of episodes based on say a very detailed outline template and a lot of times an audio recording. I'll lay out what I what I have in mind and he deals with a lot of my nonsense and there's a lot of it. <laughs> I have very specific ideas <clears throat> that many times are very difficult and novel to pull off and based on a template and a detailed audio recording that I'll give him, I'll expect him to write high quality, unique, creative, and sometimes academic writing for, at the moment, an insufficient amount of pay. <laughs> so, in other words, he gets the startup thing, uh, and but he loves the project as much as I do. We're in this together, and it, it's, it's a great working relationship. With enough support for the podcast, I hope to bring him up to full man status soon, which will be possible on the writing and marketing growth sides of things. I'd like him to someday be more of a creative partner than an employee if we can get enough support. But the reality is that the rest of the platform, the concept, the books, the production, the performance, the website will likely remain with me until I can afford to hand off pieces of that to relevant people. Concept and vision will always remain with me. I think it has to be this way, at least for it to work for me, as creativity by committee isn't really workable for me. It's really valuable for everything except for the final version. And on that, I think the product, story, plot reveals all of that. They suffer if you have more than one cook in the kitchen at the very final moment. Up until then, there's an awful lot of collaboration that goes back and forth. But when it gets to the final version, I I have to write it. And a lot of times that's a major rewrite, but that doesn't mean that what he's brought to the table isn't valuable. This is important for the episode because I basically give him a set of detailed creative constraints, and then I let him be creative within those constraints. But the safety net he has is that I completely rewrite everything in the end. My final draft is usually, I don't know, 50 to 75% different than the original. Some of that change comes from the rewrites, which he will do. And the rest comes from my very final rewrite, which I always do as a total word-for-word rewrite, and it's exactly as painful as it sounds. His draft really helps me riff on my own original concept and whatever he added. As I always say, I'm 100% responsible ultimately for these episodes, and he can't be blamed, though I reserve the right to blame him for something at some point. Um, In creative relationships, a kind of trust forms that I probably wouldn't have with with people in in other scenarios. For example, I'll usually drop tons of ideas for the nonfiction components into the temple that I give them. Like I'll mention something about, I don't know, say a John Rawls thought experiment that I thought would really fit somewhere well into an episode to have a character's actions kind of embody that thought experiment. Now, sometimes, usually I can't remember all the nitty gritty details of the concept. I just remember like the TED Talk version because I may have read it 20 years ago. So he'll usually research it and drop in the details. And and only once, as far as I can recall, did I ever question his interpretation of the original text as far as I can remember it. So that's either trust, laziness, or trust the old laziness. There, if there's, there's problems in our uh, interpretation of, 
of science, it's uh, it's one of those things. So anyway, with, with a couple exceptions, namely episode EF12, for example, the overall arc of the season in most episodes are usually my concept and mostly my version of things in the end. And I make all the final decisions on how things end up. But there's no doubt in my mind that everything turns out way better due to our creative collaboration. And for that, I'm really grateful to have him as part of this adventure with me. Imagine it like this. When we started for the first three seasons, I stretched out about three dozen canvases. And this is how I got started with this back in 2016. I didn't intend to write them all yet. In fact, only season one is done. Seasons two and three are mostly conceptual. There's some writing, but the the way the podcast works has totally changed since since those were kind of sketched out in outline form. But these three, three seasons of lightly interlinked episodes. Then I spend a long time on those canvases doing a pencil sketch of what the episode could be. And there'll be a lot of eraser marks. And I'll outline the rough color schemes and themes that I want to cross and overconnect. I'm sorry, interconnect between all these episodes. And then I'll attempt to explain it to Antonio, focusing on the big story arcs first. Then I'll deep dive, explain the pencil sketch um, on an episode. And many times then I'll ask him to go in and paint what remains of the first draft. And then usually I'll tell him it's all wrong, <laughs> likely because my vision was too big to explain well or right, or I just did a lousy job of passing on the info to him, probably the latter. And occasionally he writes a dud, but it's usually I didn't give him good direction. But either way, then he'll tell me that I'm effed in the head and that my vision was impossible to do. Then I'll reread my own concepts for the sketch over and over, sometimes realizing that he was right. Um, but usually I'll attempt to remold what he's done into something workable with my vision, integrating the best parts of what he wrote into a refined version of my original vision. Then he'll he will paint over his previous version, sometimes start fresh. Um, that happens, you know, one in five times or so, we kind of have to start over. But by this next version, we're starting to get closer. And now I work hard to reread and rethink it over and try to start figuring the nuance of what's wrong still. And this is the part that gets really hard. At this point, we're probably, you know, because we're doing all these in parallel, we may be, you know, four to six weeks into this episode and it's been rewritten once majorly and it's had a couple, you know, kind of light rewrites of sections that were just wrong. But this hard, this part gets hard because he will take it away from my vision usually. And there are parts of his departure that I really like. And many times it's hard for me to figure out how to get the plot to work the way I want and keep the best part of what he did, keep the vision, but not be trying to stuff too much into an episode. But then at that point, then I'll start rewriting parts. Usually the beginning, the end, and the kind of crucial plot moments and key reveals. And sometimes it'll go back to him for another crack with, you know, an audio recording for me. And so finally it'll get to a point, you know, say an average episode where in parallel we'll have, you know, a handful of these going on at one time and we'll be, you know, four to six weeks, maybe, maybe two months into an episode at this point. It's going to get to a point where it's as close to it's going to be to what I'm after, to where I can't ask him to do anymore because he'll probably kill me because I've, I've, I've pushed him to rewrite sections that he now thinks are good enough, but I still have a problem with. I just have to stop the process at that point, decide which sections um, need serious work, and then I pretty much rewrite it almost entirely. And again, it's not it's not that it's bad, but it just has to sound 
like me. I'll, I'll keep very much the essence of what he, he did in a section, but I'll just tweak the wording so that it feels right for me to be speaking. I do this comprehensive final rewrite for two reasons. I have to make some major tweaks to get it right for my needs, and it has to sound like me. I have to speak every word of it in the recording studio with conviction. I can't have even a single sentence that doesn't feel like my own. Errors, missteps, and all. I'm, I'm not trying to put across the idea that everything I write is good and some of the things that he writes is bad. It's just, I may change something that is actually not better, but it still has to sound like me. Our writing is similar, but it, it still has to be mine at the end of the day. Uh, I just don't see any, any other way to do it. Maybe if it was someone else, like if I had a if I had a voiceover artist doing it instead of myself, I could maybe do it differently on the final rewrite. But usually the final rewrite is quite a bit different than his last version, but I absolutely keep the best parts of his writing, which add a lot of value. It's not perfect, and we definitely need an editor. We'd like to have one. Hopefully we'll get there. We, some, we, have, a, we have a lovely artificial intelligence editor named Grammarly. That does help a lot, but we could really benefit from adding that. But right now, there's just not time and, and capital to add that into the process. The, the, I couldn't stand schedule if, if that was the case. I'll sometimes scream like a child in the recording studio if a sentence is obviously improper that we just didn't catch in these final edits, which can happen You know, with an 8,000-word piece of writing where most of the final rewrites, I'm worrying about things like, does the plot twist work? Is the ending like really tight? Does the beginning work? Like, does the subtle wording like create the right red herring? All these things. I'm not really in those final rewrites, I'm not looking at does the sentence, is it in the right tense? So I'll be in the I'll be in the studio and in character trying to deliver. It will force me to break out of character, so to speak, and stop to retype something, which is super annoying. And a lot of times I'll just deliver it as it is because I, I know I know it's wrong. I know the tense is wrong or I know the grammar's wrong or I know something's wrong with the sentence, but I can't break out of the recording mode to change it. Some of, the, some of it can be fixed in post-production or sometimes I'll riff on the fly and try to redo it. But um, it's hard to explain. But once you're in that mode, you kind of can't break out of it. And sometimes I'm in a paid recording studio and I don't have enough time. Um, then I'll let it set for weeks. Um, I'll listen to it later and I'll make edits with time as, as my perspective. The, uh, the early ones got recorded over and over, as I said. Now I have the style down a lot more. It's hopefully good enough and they will take about four or five times the length. If it's a one hour show, I'll be in the studio about four hours or so doing the lines until they're right. And I hope that amount reduces. I, f I feel like it reduced as the season got um, better. If I had enough time where I wasn't feeling tired and rushed in, in the studio, I could probably cut it down because I wouldn't be so tired on days that I was through. But I, I had some recordings that I did, which took, you know, I did three episodes in a day, which was an enormous strain to get done. And it probably suffered, it, you know. Then after that, there are hours of editing and in post-production, then I get to work on the marketing and the artwork, and it's a really fun, super creative process, but one episode does in fact span months. Okay, can you talk about the themes of season one and what's ahead? Since this question, I realized that it's actually an important question that I didn't detail enough, so I've put a page on the website that answers this. I'm just going to put a link to that. You can take a read because it's a, it's a long page describing what the difference is between seasons one, two, and three. Just the the Cliff's notes is that season one, the, the, the platform is mind, life, and soul. 
The first three seasons are exploring big questions of life from those three lenses. So season one is all about questions of mind, critical thinking, emotional thinking, creative thinking, all the kind of root core things. Now, of course, there's overlap. You know, if you go to season two, where it's going to be focusing on topics related to life, you know, how do you cope in society? How do you, you know, manage relationships, all these things. Of course, all that still roots down to the way your mind works. There's there's clearly overlap, but the, you know, the, these are the kind of basic lenses. Season one's about mind, season two, life, and season three, soul. And then beyond that, I have lots of other topics and things I'd, I can go from there, but I'm, I can't overplan. So at this point, I roughly have seasons two and three planned. They're definitely not written, but I have ideas of where I want it to go and kind of some rough story arcs. Um, I'll put a link to the, the page that I put on the website for this, and you can, you can check out a more detailed description. Okay, what is the whole thing about? I listened to a few episodes and liked them, but I can't figure out where it's going. I kind of just answered that, but I'll say I'm getting a little better at it, but I generally have kind of a hard time explaining the podcast and anyone in marketing or from the startup world, which today has that, look how simple my product is, even a five-year-old or his grandmother gets it, would probably be appalled at the complexity of what this is trying to do and how difficult it is to explain. As an example, in iTunes, which is still probably the biggest podcast directory, you're able to put the podcast in several different categories and sub and like you can have it in three at any one time. It's bounced all over in terms of popularity. It's been top 10, I think, in the self-help category. It's ranked in at one point in the philosophy category. It's ranked in the performing arts. It's doing pretty well overall, but it's but I, I don't think that's normal. I think normally you have a, a strict, you say, self-help podcast or a podcast on politics. Like this one is is a little hard to describe, and it's fiction. So that's another that's another problem is that on iTunes they have a category called performing arts that is where you find most things that are fictional, which to my knowledge, there's not a lot of them. But the podcast is also trying to cover a lot of philosophical ground and science and things like that. And there's a science category, which, you know, I haven't even tried to rank in that category. But my point is that it's a, uh, it's kind of a crossbreed. Maybe it's inbred, I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm getting a little better at describing what it is, and I'm hoping that people tell me what it is. Uh, so I described the mind, life, soul, and what this first thing is. I described it as semi-serial, meaning like, you don't have to listen in order, but it's kind of cooler if you do. It's, what is it about? It's um, it's not necessarily strictly about the science that's discussed. I mean, I'm clearly not a neuroscientist or a physicist. I mean, I'm hardly a podcaster at this point. I've only been doing it for six months, but this first season took about two years from concept to production. I'd say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a curious person who asks a lot of questions to determine if even better questions are more relevant. I don't feel like I have an answer and the episodes might include all types of, of, of sciences, but the point is to use those as interesting topics and tools to get at more of the big questions of life. And that's why every episode you've probably noticed is themed around one of the big questions, like what is the truth? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? Later in seasons, we'll get into things like, is there a God? And, and these, to me, are all questions that just help you figure out your place in life and, and what you're doing. The fictional format I see as a tool to try to help us get to a place of asking 
better questions. In emails I've received and comments online and people I personally know giving me reviews of it, I just had a friend text me and tell me he loved it, said it, he felt it was like Twilight Zone meets science class. And on the iTunes, I believe, store, there's a review that's something like, this is like a fictional TED Talk. And there's been a lot of comparisons to a lot of things I love. Probably no no surprise because these were all influences of mine, but TED Talks, um, I love the web website, Wait But Why, it's been compared to that. Uh, I mentioned Hardcore History. It's been compared to that, which is great and flattering. There's a great website called Brain Pickings that I've seen a comparison to. Um, Sam Harris, Twilight Zone, Black Mirror. I'm glad to report that no one thinks they're too, it's too similar to any of those because I, I think especially with the fictional aspect, it's quite different. But I'd say all, all of these things on top of my interests in science, philosophy, psychology, history, and really kind of any intellectual pursuit that tries to ask more questions have all been my interests and influences. I, I'll, I mean, I'm sure I'll, I've gotten a lot of things wrong already and I'll continue to get things wrong. So all I can do is try my best to create what I guess is kind of educational entertainment um, that's mostly right. It's right more than it's wrong and hopefully makes people think because that's really, I think, the most important thing to do. And by the way, I do have a a spot on the website for errors and errata. So if you please help me correct them nicely. I think I think it's also found at evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. As you'll explore in the last episode of season one, creativity is not divine intervention. Creativity is just hard goddamn work. And everything here is created and influenced by many things. But to me, this work is the most rewarding thing I've done. And I've done a lot of different types of things with my career, besides being a parent. Though that's hard goddamn work too sometimes. We seeing a pattern here? So the format I believe is my bloody fingerprint with definitely some of Antonio's fingerprint mixed in just to confuse the cops. I'll answer this in an upcoming question, but I'd say the format evolved probably about five major times since the first episode was written until what I finally called done in season one. What is my favorite episode? I mean, come on, this is like asking what's your favorite which of your children is your favorite. But in season one, I would have to say probably EF11. And that's the artificial intelligence one. Now, conceptually, I actually think that EF4 has the coolest concept. The The only issue I have with EF4, which is the decapitation of reason, is that the philosophy and the science in that one, it was an early episode. And I think that it's a little too blunt. I mean, I, I would say it's the, it's the episode that has created the most commotion. It uh, it obviously has some controversial themes if you if you look at uh, what it's ultimately happens in the episode. I'm not going to reveal it here, but I love the the twist and all of that about the episode. the The philosophy, while I think it's necessary for the episode, I think in retrospect I would do it a little less bluntly. And who knows? Maybe someday I'll rewrite that one. But what we're trying to do with future seasons is is embody the concepts more. If you look at the arc of the first season, you'll see that by the end of the first season, that starts to happen, where the, the science and philosophy and all that stuff, which we call the proofs, they're a little less blunt. You know, they're they're still there, and I think it's an, it's an important kind of signature of the, sh of the show, but I'd like to make them less blunt. I'd like to make them more integrated, more kind of embodied by the character and the plot, and I think that starts to happen. It certainly happens in episode EF, 13, the last one, kind of happens in the previous two episodes to that. It's an, it's a little unfortunate because I, I do think that the the concept of EF4 is, is really good. And 
I, it's still one of my favorite episodes, but I, I do think for, for, especially for someone who's not a fan of philosophy, it may go a little deep into the, into feeling like a philosophy lecture through, through the middle. So those are two of my favorites. Uh, I also love EF12 and EF13. I love the, uh, uh, EF13 I think is probably the most polished piece of writing. It has some really subtle and nuanced, you know, kind of twists and turns that I think shows um, the writing maturing, which was happy. It's certainly not mature, like it's, it has a long way to go yet, but compared to the earlier episodes, I think it's advanced a lot. And then the episodes seven, eight, and nine, which are the kind of three episodes that are intertwined. They're still independent, but they're three intertwined episodes. Those were really hard to do. And I think they turned out great, especially the last episode with Elliot and the the kayaking, if you recall that one. That's a great episode. The, uh, the Story Within a Story one, which was EF5, is also a favorite of mine. There you go. I just named off like almost half the episodes. I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really go too far to uh to slim them down but i i i think i you could probably tell which which ones i uh like quite a bit okay why don't i plan to do advertising and how will it stay alive so this falls into the what do i hate category about the podcast which is a question that i have been asked and will answer in the next podcast but i just don't see advertising as the future of the podcasting business i mean it's always going to be there people don't appreciate not their fault but that this create for free model is just, it's the wrong model. So to sell your data for free is a terrible idea. And I have this little audio rant planned for the subscribe page that tries to highlight the dangers of this, but people generally just don't seem to care about giving up privacy for free stuff. So unfortunately the best shows are probably going to have to become subscriber only on a per platform basis, which it's a shame to have to go that way, but I think the advertising model is going to break down. I mean, it already is in some senses. I think the Netflix model is coming. Spotify just purchased two companies, Gimlet and Anchor, and uh, Google and Apple are doing the same. I'm not positive this is the best thing for the industry, but I don't, you know, I don't love exclusive content either because that limits the audience. But it seems like there's no other choice. I mean, people don't have a problem paying, say, a monthly fee for Netflix, which gives them access to enormous amounts of content. That seems fine. But then, you know, you ask, then you put other things online for free and people complain about the ads. You know, I'm open to anything. If, if the right deal comes along, I'll take it. If the right advertising even, something that actually fits what the podcast is trying to accomplish, I'll certainly consider it. Maybe even better if the right sponsorship comes along, you know, from, I don't know, the likes of like the National Science Foundation or, or something like that, something that's trying to support independent content that is, you know, discussing good messages, you know, like veins of humanism and um, science and, and philosophy. But something will have to happen in this space, in this podcast, or else it's going to have to go away at some point. Support it if you can to get it to that point. And support can even mean sharing it, giving it, you know, five stars. So if you, if you can't pay or won't pay at this point, you know, from my website, you can become a subscriber pretty much any amount if you can't do that at this time then at least share it give it five stars give it a good review on platforms like itunes and tell your friends share it on social media blog about it whatever it is you do you know introduce me to your friend who works at audible and spotify or um some places that do sponsorships of of content 
you know, any any of those things can could be a um, one introduction could mean a, a whole new level for the show. If you can't f- support it at a financial level, but you do feel like you're getting a lot out of it, then just do any of those other things. And the more it grows, the more it will have the potential to to turn into something else. Thanks in advance, and that's kind of the you know my take on where this industry is probably going for the shows that do require a lot more effort than kind of casual recording. What does the logo and podcast imagery mean? Well, I love symbols. I'm Polish mostly, I think. I'm about to do a 23andMe genetic test and my family all has bets on what my heritage will be. We uh, we actually spent about two years, I'm sorry, two, uh, two weeks in in Poland on our trip and really loved it. They're one of these people that, like the Vietnamese, just had a location in geography that just screwed them for centuries. So the Vietnamese and the Polish have been invaded for centuries because of where they're located. I mean, Poland just is stuck between Germany and and Russia. I mean, it's just a terrible place to be, especially in the last century. Uh, And the Vietnamese are the same. They've been invaded by everybody and they've kicked everyone out, including Genghis Khan. But you can't get these people down, both countries. They're resilient, like cockroaches. And... um, no, I'm not calling my ancestors or the Vietnamese cockroaches. It's just a joke, people. I, I also love Japan for for similar reasons. The anyway, the back to the, to the logo. The, the the Polish eagle to me is a bit like a phoenix, which itself is kind of the ancient symbol of of rebirth in in lots of cultures. Two main symbols are the Japanese Enzo, which is the O in the Evolve Faster word logo, and this kind of butterfly phoenix of the Evolve Faster podcast, which I drew by hand. That one is somewhere between a butterfly and a phoenix for a reason. It has that Polish ego quality that for me is very phoenix-like, kind of making it a symbol of rebirth. And it's actually more of a butterfly modified to look like it's kind of evolving faster and even beyond its kind of beautiful state. There aren't many metaphorical creatures or animals that exist with a better evolution story than the butterfly. The, the logo is trying to be all that. It's about evolving and going beyond that and kind of this idea of personal rebirth. That's deep down what the episodes are all about. Seeing that you can restart everything. How you see the world, how you use your mind, how you find meaning, just like that. Just hit that reset button. That's what the EF2 episode is about. It's a thought experiment that you do have this chance to simply hit the reset button on your mind, life, or soul any day. You just have to decide to do it. I've always loved the Enzo as well, which is kind of this perfect Japanese symbol. And in my case, it's the incomplete version of the Enzo because our development as humans is never complete. So that's what this symbol means to them. There is no enlightenment. There's only the ongoing constant pursuit of it. So anyway, for the podcast logo itself, I was originally using this cool artwork I had purchased of a butterfly's wing in a sort of you know rapid movement that implied faster. Uh, but after Poland, looking back, I think I got that eagle into my head. My, my cousin used to have a, a tattoo of the, of the Polish eagle. Well, around the time that I was designing the logo, we're in Poland. I, in, I w- wasn't consciously doing it, but I think seeing that, I took a few great photos of it when I was there, and then revisiting that I wanted to draft a new logo, because I, I didn't really just want to use kind of purchased art to have my logo. And so this kind of phoenix butterfly thing was born. I'm not an artist. I happened to have uh, my iPad Pro with me, and I hadn't done a lot of work with the the Apple Pencil except for editing work. And I just decided one day to sit down, I think, you know, on travel days when we were on airplanes and airports and, and whatnot, 
I started working on this, this concept and it took about six or seven versions, I think. I drew it by hand in an application called Affinity Photo, which is kind of like a Photoshop on the iPad. It's really well designed for use on, on an iPad. So I drew it by hand with the Apple Pencil after multiple versions and figuring out layering of, of colors and everything, it uh, kind of became its own little adventure. Certainly not perfect, but it was a fun little departure from, from all the deep writing work and turned out to be something I really, really liked enough to make the logo. That's the story of the of the of the two bits of where and I drew the 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 Enzo by hand years ago because I, I did have this name of all faster before I knew it was gonna be a podcast. Okay, can you talk about how you record and produce from the road? I read that you were traveling for the entire first year of uh, the entire first season of recording. I re-recorded every one of the first five episodes all across Asia, probably five to seven times each, always thinking it was the last time. It was a total rookie mistake. But it was a rookie mistake in particular because I, did, I still did not have the performance theme nailed down yet. I should have just recorded one over and over again until I had it, but I always thought I had it. <laughs> so some of them I even fully edited and I eventually sound shared them with a audio engineer who I hired to do the kind of final noise removal. He would point out stupid things that were making the post-processing harder. And I'm a non-pro musician. I'm in a band and you know we, we play, it's, I'm in a cover band. I know about recording too. Pretty sad that I could make rookie mistakes like that and do men do so many recordings. I, I definitely wasted a lot of hours. I think in, in my head, I just wanted to get it as close as I could and be done with it. But I just realized that had I just pushed a little harder to get the recordings perfect before I decided that that was the final style and recording format and everything, I would have saved myself a lot of time. But anyway, I was underestimating the powerful impact of a few things like a slight echo. I would do a whole podcast. I could probably do a whole podcast on remote recording in any environment. I would set up these elaborate sound booths when I was staying in some Airbnb, but I didn't realize that just even one side not completely blocked off or recording on a desk could create just enough echo that when trying to do good post-processing, they have to do a noise removal on it. And that noise removal then all of a sudden makes the recording sound like it was underwater. I finally figured out how to do recordings in pretty much anywhere. And then after doing all that, I simply decided to go to studios. <laughs> so I went to one studio in Vietnam, which is a funny story. And then I did another one a few months later in Barcelona as we traveled. The uh, the one in Vietnam is, is a funny story because we were in a not very, if, if you've been to Vietnam, you know, it's an amazing place. The, the people are amazing. It's a really great place with great people. Um, but once you leave city areas, it's very rural, very third world. And, you know, a, a drive that would take you a couple hours in America could be like a 19 hour drive in Vietnam. I, I did this on Google Maps just for fun to see what it would take to get from one place to another, which is why you fly around Vietnam if you're gonna go to multiple spots. We were at a at a resort in Hoi An, and I realized that if I, if I wanted to just knock out the five or six that I had done, I was ready to go on. I just needed to see if I could find a recording space. And I went on Google Maps and pulled up recording studios, and there wasn't many, as you might imagine. 
But one came up, which turned out to be a probably about a 15 year old kid who had just built his own little recording studio, which by the photos on his little website was clearly just for other kids doing karaoke. Contacted him and we worked out a rate of $5 an hour, which he was very happy with. Just took whatever offer he gave me and I hopped in an Uber about 20 minutes out of the city. I uh, had a hard time even finding it. And it turned out to be like what appeared to be his grandfather's house. And grandpa was sitting on a stool with his shirt off and friendly as ever, very nice guy. And I went into his recording studio and recorded the first five or six episodes. So if you listen closely, you can actually hear some roosters crowing and scooters zipping by. Uh, most of it was edited out, but for astute listeners, you'll probably catch a few uh, rooster crows. That was that was one fun, ex and, um, and then in Barcelona, I found a, a rock space, a band practice studio. They were very well soundproof. Um, there were like six kind of air rooms that are kind of floating floor and, you know, very soundproof walls. That worked great as well, and that was very inexpensive and easier to schedule than a, like a regular recording studio. I would, because I had these deadlines, it made me get them recorded. So I recorded the rest of the episodes in a five day stretch of three days in that Rockspace studio. The deadlines were tight because I didn't want to go through the startup process of having to find yet another recording studio in the next location we were in. Um, once I decided in both Vietnam and Spain that I was going to go get those episodes done, I got them done. And I, I had these deadlines that made sure that they'd be, they'd be finished. The deadlines and a lot of sugar, caffeine, and probably three full liters of water per session work. For these last few episodes of season one, I was in this jam space and I'm pretty sure the dudes that were running this place thought I had some kind of severe prostate problem because I was going to the bathroom like twice an hour. I'm not a professional voice actor, so for me, and this is a trick I use when I'm singing in my band, I drink a ton of water. It's a hack for me that if I'm well hydrated, I have less problems with my voice going out and I can uh, I can record and play and sing for longer if I'm very well hydrated. So I was drinking an enormous amount of, of water because I was trying to record multiple episodes in a day, which is a lot of work. I get this question a lot about recording from the road and maybe someday I'll do a whole episode on it. The production quality is important to me. I spend a lot of time on it. I spend a lot of time on the music and I do, I do all that mixing. The, the only thing that audio engineer does is the noise removal because I have the software, but I don't have the skilled ears to do it. I, I work with a guy who does a great job and it's simple for him. He's got these preset controls and takes out the noise, cleans up the audio a little bit. And now that I have kind of worked out all the kinks of my recording process, it's much easier. I send him recordings, he removes the noise, and then I can do all the post-production. I wouldn't want to go through all this work creating the episodes and then not have the final product be be high quality. I think the compliments mean that at least some people are listening on good headphones. Please try to listen on good headphones if you can. There's a, you'll hear a lot more and you'll probably discover more roosters and scooters that way. But yeah, good headphones, people don't realize, and I didn't realize even as someone that is kind of into this stuff, just how much you lose with cheap headphones or listening, say, on the speaker of an iPhone. The speakers on a laptop, the bottom and top end just disappear. It's all this kind of mid-range. And you almost can't, even though I have the, the volume of the music probably a little too loud, if you listen to it on certain devices, like even in a car or with like not, not so great speakers or a laptop, 
it doesn't even sound like there's music. I, it made me realize how difficult it probably is for musicians today because they have to deal with all these, you know, different ways that people are listening. In the car, with crappy earbuds, with crappy laptop speakers, with the speaker of an iPhone, which can sound like quite mono. I had to kind of pick a middle ground of how I wanted it to sound. For audio nerds, I produce in 196 kilobits. It's a balance. You know, audiophiles on even a mediocre setup can probably hear the difference between 128 and 196. Above that, I think it starts to take better gear and really good ears, and the files get enormous when you hit up to like 320. You know, a lot of podcasts produce at only 96 kilobits per second. And for me, that was not high quality enough. So if, if I was just doing an interview with no music, or if it was a Skype interview, totally different story. But because of the complexity and layers, I want it to be sounding as good. So balanced that I also don't want huge file sizes that, you know, for someone who is downloading this on their mobile phone, takes forever, uses up all their data. So it's a balance. I feel comfortable at 196 and I've, the feedback on it has been great. So I, I, think it's, I think it's a good mix, at least for now. Hopefully the next season will get even better and I, I won't be in a 15-year-old's Vietnamese farmhouse. But then again, it might be a lot more boring. There's a lot more to tell about, you know, recording from the road, but that's probably already too long of an answer for most people. What's ahead for the podcast? You've said on the website, it's evolving, so how it will change. I've kind of already answered this question, but how it will change, and I'll talk about this from an episode perspective, is that one thing I'm hoping to streamline and better integrate is the science and philosophy and what we call the proofs. For anyone who listened to all of season one, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. You might have noticed an evolution in the episodes. The proofs, as we call them, are what some people have called like the TED Talk parts of the episodes, were more of a blunt instrument. Uh, I mentioned that in EF4, the decapitation of reason, it gets a little dense in the, the philosophy section for people who aren't into philosophy. And seasons two and beyond will have less specific about philosophies. There'll be more psychology and other things that pop up in coming seasons. And the main thing I'm trying to do going forward is have them be more integrated and be part of the plot as opposed to being literal. It may be more guesswork in coming seasons. My hope is that there is more guesswork for the listener to try to figure out what is the science behind the episode. That's a lot harder to do. It's a lot bigger challenge that we're looking forward to taking on. I'd say that's the main thing I'm hoping to, to change. I, a lot of people have compared this to Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, and you know we're, we're going to try to get more towards the Black Mirror style, but still having it about you know these nonfiction components embedded as well. The goal is to not have what feels like a 20-minute philosophy lecture in the middle of a episode, like it kind of feels like an episode EF4. But if I had time to get that episode where I wanted to be, and had had I kind of thought this through enough at that moment, I might have actually, it could have been like really the defining episode for, for season one. So I'll talk about that more when I do the Ask Me Anything in behind the podcast for that specific episode. But this was the, that was the episode that made me realize how much writing these deep episodes on deep concepts causes you to question why you believe what you believe and even to figure out what you actually believe. Anyway, going forward, I'm hoping to make the episodes shorter I'd like them to be closer to 30 minutes. That may be aggressive in season two. You know, maybe I can get them all to 45 minutes and under. I don't know yet. And I'd like them to be less blunt with the science perspective, more metaphorical, less literal. And hopefully by season three, 
which I have this theory that nothing really gets really good until the version three, but hopefully that's how it finally hits the vision I have for it. As for what's ahead, you can see my posts about this on the, on the website that I referred to earlier. To wrap up, I'll get back to the question that I answered at the beginning and see if I have a more succinct answer for it after answering all these questions. These normally won't be so long. I have a lot of work to do preparing season two, so I need to keep them a little shorter and I don't want to bore people. But this was kind of a cornerstone episode for these mid-season Ask Me Anything behind the podcast. A little investment level setting seemed smart up front. There will be links in the in the show notes. The next episode will be about my my own motivations for doing this. Uh, please register your email. So if you go to the website of allfaster.com, there is a, a sidebar right there to put your, your email. It's very important. If there's one ask I could have of you, it would be this. And the reason is that having the only way to really update people is email. And what a lot of people don't realize is that you can follow on other platforms like say Facebook, but Facebook decides what to show you. If Facebook doesn't deem what I'm posting as valuable to Facebook, they're not gonna show it to you. They may find something that some cat video that's being shared profusely as more important to show you than the next episode of the Evolve Faster podcast. The only way I can really ensure that people find out, I've even, even already, I've had people say, hey, why didn't you tell me there was a new episode out? And the only way I can do that is email. I'm going to start doing, a, I think every Friday, email, which will notify you of what has posted. And that's really the best way. If you could do one thing, it would be to register your email and share it. Oh, and give it a five-star review on iTunes and eventually become a subscriber. So besides all that, that's all That's all I'm asking of you. Um, but please start with registering your email. The best place to listen is actually the website. I know it's not always the most convenient, but it is the best organized and it has all of the information. It's got a really nice player that pops out when you go to the homepage or click on the podcast page or click on any individual episode. You can just click the image and it starts playing. And from the player, there's a little button in the corner that looks like a, like a diagonal arrow. If you click that, it pops open the podcast player into its own window. So you can keep surfing, you can do whatever you want, and it keeps playing right in there. And the reason the website's the best is that it has all the links, it has all the show notes. The podcast player puts all of the episodes in order so you can just listen straight through. It really is the best place. Most websites for podcasts are not the best place, but I think um, we've worked pretty hard to build a website where that is the case. I realize everybody has favorite places to listen to podcasts, and that's cool too, but if you want to try it out, it's, it's a good experience. So I'd like to end with a little gratitude. I'd really like to thank Antonio. Uh, he's become a good friend. He's a great creative partner in crime. We met kind of randomly. I hired him on um, a website called Upwork, which is where you can hire help for things. So I hired him just to do some editing work and it evolved into a whole different thing like friendship. He's been a, a great friend and a great creative partner. I'd also like to thank Heidi and Stella, who I've mentioned a couple times in this, for allowing me to spend most nights working on this for the last year or two. I do my best to manage my time from our other business, which is real estate design and development, and the things that we do together, which enable things like our trip around the world and this podcast. I'm going to launch a formal gratitude page to make sure I don't miss other people. 
Finally, what have I learned doing this in the last two years? That I didn't know why I believed what I believed. That writing is the only way to figure out what's in your head. I do the fiction to force myself to create dialogues with multiple sides of issues. It's definitely not about me. These, most of these, almost everything in the episodes is not my opinion. I'm making myself think, and hopefully it makes you think as well. And ultimately what I've learned is that I don't know shit. Socrates nailed that one, so take care. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade, it's time to evolve faster.